Welcome to the Faith and Money Podcast, where listeners are invited to explore the captivating intersection of faith and finances. Leading the way are two remarkable hosts, Keith Conley, President of True Legacy Financial Planning, and Crystal Wampler, President of Can Ethics. Faith and Money explores a diverse array of financial topics, always placing Christ at the center of our discussions. From the basics of budgeting and investing, to the transformative power of charitable giving and the dynamics of entrepreneurship, we explore it all. Keith and Crystal invite guests who are thought leaders, financial experts, and individuals who have successfully integrated faith and finances, offering practical tools and inspiring stories to guide you on your own path. If you find the Faith and Money podcast valuable and entertaining, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode, and your rating will help us reach more people, empowering them to align their faith and finances. Now, without any further delay, here's Keith and Crystal. Welcome to this episode of the Faith and Money Podcast. My name is Keith Conley. I am the president and founder of True Legacy Financial Planning. Uh, My famous co-host, Crystal, unfortunately can't be here today, uh, but we have my new friend, Scott Mater. Scott, how's it going? It's going good. It's it's hot here in Texas, uh, but, it, you know, there it's teasing us today. There's actually cloud cover, so it's like it's pretending like it's going to rain, but I don't think it's actually going to rain. <laughs> well, you know, I'm here in Orange County, California, and we got a hurricane. That's true. Y'all did just have a hurricane run through. Like- I, I'm from the East Coast, and we, you know we where I'm from in the East Coast of Pennsylvania, we never really got hurricanes, but we got tropical storms, and you know, and by the time we got to uh, the the hurricane here, uh, you know, it was a tropical storm, but we're not used to getting rain in August. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, Pacific Pacific hurricanes are a lot less common than Atlantic hurricanes, uh, but and and I live you know far enough inland in Texas that. We don't usually, I mean, we get rain if a hurricane hits, but we, yeah. we don't get anything else. So it's not too bad here. And of course, we don't have earthquakes in the middle of hurricanes either, which my <laughs> understanding is that someplace got hit with an earthquake during the hurricane. Yeah, we had a, we had a, a fiver a little bit north of us in Ojai. Uh, my wife yelled at me because I called it Ojai. It shows <laughs> that I'm not really a, a California native. Uh, I'm, I'm actually pretty proud of that. Uh, but yeah, that was a little bit north of us, up in the Santa Barbara area. They had a, a 5.1 or something earthquake in the middle of the storm. So good times, good times. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, storms and wars and and all these things that are coming in the last days. So maybe God is trying to tell us something. Well, maybe. But he also said that none of us will know the time or the place. So that's true. I, I kind of have a tendency to just sit back and go, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I'm not going to I'm not going to I'm not going to live my life any different thinking it is or thinking it isn't anyway. So let me yeah. just live my life the way I need to live it and yeah. we'll let the rest of it sort itself out. Yeah. So, Scott, I'm going to go ahead and just give our, our our listeners a few details about who you are and, and you're welcome to fill in any extra details that you'd like. Uh, Scott is the founder of a stewardship coaching business called Inspired Stewardship he founded that in 2017 with his wife, Carrie, uh, and they coach in the area of stewardship, helping uh, folks manage their time, talent, and treasure. 
Uh, and the goal of the of inspired stewardship is to help others live a fully authentic life devoted to their unique calling to serve others. Uh, Scott is a certified behavioral consultant and member of the Maxwell Leadership Certified Team. And he is the host of Inspired Stewardship Podcast. And, and uh, looks like you already said this, but you live in, in uh, Lake Hills, Texas. Is that somewhere near Austin? Uh, it's kind of, uh, it's in the hill country between San Antonio and Austin. So San Antonio is actually the closest city, but I'm I'm an hour from San Antonio and about an hour and a half to two hours from Austin. So I'm pretty okay. close to both of them. Excellent. So thanks for joining us today. Sure. One addition. Uh, so yes, we founded the business in 2017. We actually started it back in 2011, but 2017 is when we took it full time. So this is this is what I do. I don't have a second job or any of that. We, we do the coaching business is uh, 100% of our, our focus since 2017. Yeah. And, and before we started you know, recording the episode, you were saying you have folks that you're working with all around the world. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I'm up to 15 countries now. Now, that doesn't mean I have people in 15 countries right now today. Right now today, I've got people in four countries. But over the years, I've worked with people in, in 15 different countries. So all over the world, uh, you know, turns out that people are people and money is money and time is time and talent is talent and stewardship is stewardship and calling is calling wherever you are. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, when if you're going to talk about the biblical principles of stewardship, they're applicable all times of all peoples, right. of all places and in all circumstances, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, uh, you know, these principles that are taught in God's word apply to your life. Uh, and so it doesn't matter, you know, how old you are or where you live or 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 any of these circumstances, they are for you. Right. The truth is, if you read Proverbs and you just go through that every day uh, and do that, you know, religiously, no pun intended, uh, for a long period of time, you, you end up with basically an MBA in finance uh, because there there is a ton. And there's there's more in the Bible than just in Proverbs, but just Proverbs alone ends up being like you have a degree in finance at the end of it, if, if you would actually just do what it says. Yeah, I actually posted uh, or released an episode of the Faith and Money podcast on generosity. Uh, and we talked with my friend Dan Smith of the Quakerdale Foundation. And, you know, the, the being a faith-based financial advisor, I get a lot of different mixed reactions. <laughs> I get oh, you just want to be promoting, you know, a false gospel, the prosperity gospel, um, or they want to say, you know, God doesn't care about my money. He just cares about my heart. Uh, and, you know, I posted this episode on generosity and the comments I was getting on social media. Wow. It was just incredible how, uh, strongly people were reacting in a negative way. It was, it was just incredible. Uh, and they hadn't even listened to the podcast, but the fact is our, our listeners are, are accustomed to hearing that the Bible has over 2000 verses on money, wealth, and generosity. Uh, and God cares intimately about our money, not because he, God is a, a tyrant, not because God uh, wants to hold back from us, but the way we manage our time, talents, and resources 
is an indication of our faith and trust in, in, in God. Well, I would actually say that the reason God cares about our money is because God cares about our heart. Correct. Um, you know, it, it. in other words, if you say, well, God doesn't care about my money, God only cares about my heart. Yes, I agree with that. Problem is not God. The problem is us. Correct. So we have a tendency to put our heart where our treasures are. That sounds familiar. Um, you know, <laughs> and uh, like where we're putting our money, where we're putting our time, where we're putting our energy, where we're putting our focus tends to take first position for us. And so we begin to look at money not as a tool or a means to an end or a blessing that we're given or anything else, but instead we begin to look at money as the source of our security, as the source of our provision, as what we need to live. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that like with this, you know, holier than thou, oh no, I do it right. I never think, no, I, I, we all struggle with it. That's the human condition. I, I think that's why it's talked about so much in the Bible is because, you know, God knew, Jesus knew up front, oh, they're going to struggle with this one. Oh, this is going to be hard for them. So let me talk about this a lot. <laughs> you know, let me give them some guidance because they're going to have a hard time. And, and we know that up front. And so that's put in there so much because we have a tendency to put, you know, our money, our time, our energy, all of these things as as the the horse as opposed to the cart. You know, God's right. supposed to be the horse. All that other stuff's supposed to be in the cart. <laughs> and right. yet we make that the horse and we pretend like God's in the cart. And it's like, eh, wrong relationship there. If you look at Jesus's many diverse teachings on the topic of of stewardship you know the parable of the talents for example uh the the his other parables that use financial concepts what you find out is that stewardship isn't just about money or it's not just about assets it's actually encompassing all of our life we're to steward our entire lives and you talk a lot about you know helping clients master their time talents and treasure why is it so difficult for us as Christians to master all three of these at the same time? Uh, well, it, that's actually a little bit of a, it, we're looking at it the wrong way. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. Let, let's back up a minute. First off, my joke to everybody is, you know, I tell everybody I work on stewardship. I tell everybody I work with time, talent, and treasures. That's in my tagline. That's, you know, my messaging. That's all of that. But the real truth is at the end of the day, I really only work with talent. And, and the reason why is because the way we handle our time, the way we handle our money is actually has more to do with how we handle ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's how we put our heart and our mind you know, how do we align those things? And then it shows up in our time and our money. Th those are symptoms, not the cause. Now, why then do I talk about time and money and not just talent? Because usually we recognize symptoms before we recognize causes. <laughs> you know, it's like we go into the doctor because we have a cough. We don't go into the doctor because we have pneumonia. You know, we go right. in the we go in with a cough going, hey, doc, I got a cough. Something's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. So people come in and they're like, look, I, 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 my wife and I are fighting all the time about money. You know, I've got, I, I always laugh. People always say, I make good money. First off, that doesn't mean anything because good money is relative. 
I've had somebody tell me I make good money who makes $250,000 a month. And I've had somebody say I make good money who makes $37,000 a year. Right. They were both telling the truth. <laughs> you know, it's not like one of them was lying and the other one wasn't. It's right. all relative. It, it's 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 not a real thing. It's our perception of that thing. And that kind of happens with our money and with our time. You know, I love time. I'll use that example on that one. People will say, well, I don't have time for that. And literally, I'll say, OK, just rephrase that and say, that's not a priority for me. And if you still feel OK saying that, great. It's not a priority for you right now. If part of you goes, oh, that feels kind of that, that, that I, uh -uh, I don't want to say that out loud you've got time for it. You're just choosing not to do it. So like somebody says, you know, my child's recital, I can't go to my child's recital because I don't have time. That kind of lets them off the hook. But if they say, I can't go to my child's recital because my child's recital is not a priority for me. Most of the time they go, well, that, that feels icky. <laughs> you know, I don't right. want to say that out loud. It's like, okay, but it's, that's what you're doing. So go ahead and say it that way. Right. So, Time and money, the, the things that show up for us in those things are really a symptom of a deeper thing, which is how are we relating to those things? You know, back to what we were talking about a minute ago. Are we able to put those things as the servant to God, to our calling, to right. the things that we're supposed to be doing, or are those the master? You know, if those become the master, we got a problem. Right. If those are the servant, then it's no longer this big hurdle mess of how do we deal with all three of these things? Because now you're really only dealing with one thing. Right. <laughs> you know, now, granted, the one thing you're dealing with is really not easy to work on. And there's things that you've got to do. And yes, there's tools and there's techniques and there's, you know, behaviors and there's all sorts of things that we can do. But at the end of the day, it's not about the, you know, there's an app for that. It's not about the tool. It's about the technique. It's about diving in deeper and really getting honest with yourself, self-assessing, self-evaluating and figuring out, hmm, what do I need to be doing different? What decisions do I need to make differently? What behavior do I need to exhibit differently so that now my money, now my time, now these things are actually doing what, you know, what they're supposed to be doing instead of they're kind of driving my decisions. Right. When I, when I provide it financial planning advice to my clients, it's never about what's doing the best thing for about the money. It, right. It's very not money centric. We make financial decisions to help clients and their families have the best possible use of those funds to put towards things that they truly care about, right. you know, the charitable giving their time with family. It's what that, that money allows them to do. And, and, and honestly, you know, financial planning has this stigma that we're all about the net worth statements and the rates of return, but really stewardship focusing too much on money is the wrong focus. It's the wrong place to start. The right place to start is to figuring out, what it is that you want to be doing with your life and who you want to be doing it with and how to make that possible. Yeah. It, it's, it's about your values and your priorities. 
more than it is about the time or the money, you know, that, that, and, and we talk a lot. I work with my clients a lot on what's your why, you know, what's your driver, what's the emotional thing, because they'll come in and it's like, I want to get out of debt. No, you don't. I mean, no offense or anything, but nobody actually wants to get out of debt. Nobody wants to live on a spending plan. Nobody wants to spend less than they make. Nobody wants to invest for the future. Those aren't really what you want. What you want is things like freedom, flexibility, the ability to do, you know, the things that you feel like you're called to do so that when you wake up in the morning and go to bed at night, you're like, yes, you know, to to spend time with the people that you want to spend time with. You know, it's about those underlying emotions is really what you want. Now, maybe getting out of debt is a way to get closer to those things. Right. But it's not the thing, <laughs> you know, otherwise it's goals. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of goals. I love setting goals. Goals are important. Goals are valuable. But the problem with the goal is you kind of check it off and it's done. Your know, goals have a beginning, a middle and an end. A why doesn't have a beginning or a middle or an end. It is that thing behind the goal. It's the reason or the emotion mm-hmm. or the transformation or the, the journey part as opposed to the destination. Right. Once you get in touch with that, then this other stuff comes easier because now when you're looking at a budget, you know, just a long list of numbers on a, on a budget or on a spending plan, we like to call it spending plan because that fools people into not thinking it's a budget, uh, but mm-hmm. it's the same thing. You know, <laughs> when, when we look at that long list of numbers, you start being able to go, huh, what in this long list of numbers are the things I most want to say yes to? Right. Which is a very different attitude than looking at them and go, what do I want to say no to? You know, when you're looking at your calendar, you start looking at it with the frame of reference of what am I going to say? What's most important to say yes to first? Let me put those on my calendar first. Those are the big rocks. You know, if you want to make your child's recital, it should be on your calendar and that time should be blocked off and protected long before anything else goes on the calendar. (laughs) You know, that, that should go on first. And yet, what do we do? A lot of times we leave that stuff for the end. We leave that stuff for the, the time in between. We let everything else fill up our, our cup, fill up our calendar first right. or fill up our, our budget first. And that's it's the wrong order. And it's literally because we just haven't stopped and thought about what am I really after? We tend to focus on the short-term goal as opposed to the larger emotion. And that's the exact same thing that you're saying you know, yeah. with your clients. What's the real driver behind it? That's what we need to do. Sometimes as Christians, we we get too caught up in the in trying to find the will of God. You know, what what, what does God want me to do? And I, I think it was Martin Luther who used to say things like, you could do whatever you want as a Christian. And that and that shocks people because that sounds like, oh, you're telling me I could go and sin? No. The next thing Mark Martin Luther said was. As a Christian, what is it that you want to do? Mm-hmm. And so then now that put changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? And 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 in terms of our stewardship, your calling, your vocation, whether it's a vocation or 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 something else, the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. As long as we're loving God and loving our neighbor. Uh and and we have the freedom to do these things, but we have to plan it out and we have to create our own path forward, you know, and, and with, with, and ask for God's blessing in that and, and ask that God would be a part of that. 
Well, I, I would, there's a both end here. And, and a lot of things, I, I've come to kind of look at a lot of things that we, we do where as humans, we start trying to put things into boxes. You know, it's either this or it's that. We could do it this way or we could do it that way. A lot of black and white, where I think in God's kingdom, I think in, in the world that God is saying we should be living in, not always the world we are living in, but the world we right. should be living in, there's a lot more of both and. There's a lot more continuum. There's a lot more gray in a good way. Not, not gray as in wishy-washy, but gray as in we don't have to put everything in a nice, neat little box and have it all categorized and check marks right. next to it and perfect. I instead, it's okay that it's a little sloppy. It's okay that it's both of those things at once. So as an example, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with you know, praying and, and trying to find God's will for your life and looking at the directions and the things that God has put into your life. I think that's a valuable exercise. Absolutely. And I think there's a lot of cues, usually in the form of other people and things that have happened that you may not even have really thought about. So it takes some time and some energy to reflect on this and draw those out that, you know, that kind of bubble up and it's like, oh, I should be doing this. Now, at the same time, I think what we confuse is that the thing that we need to be doing that kind of is put up on our heart has to exactly show up and align with the thing that we're doing that maybe is bringing an income and, and right. a career. And it's like, there's actually nothing that says those two things have to be the same thing. Right. There's nothing that says those are equivalent. You know, our career the word career actually comes from the root word that means cart to get from point A to point B. It's, it's about getting something. The word vocation, which we would now call calling, comes from the word vocal, you know, vocal. It's the same root word as to speak. It, it literally means the thing that God is speaking into your life. Those two things could be the same thing. They could be not the same thing, or they could be related to each other, but not exactly the same thing. You know, they show up in different ways in our lives. So like, as an example, I do believe that God has put a calling in my life to, to help people, to serve people. You know, I'm really good as a coach at coming in beside somebody and asking just a few questions a lot of times. And all of a sudden it's like, they're like, oh, that's perfectly clear what I should do now. And I didn't tell them. All I did was ask questions. but by asking the right questions, it's like, oh yeah, duh, that's obvious. You know, now I know exactly what I should do. Thank you so much for telling me. And I'm like, I didn't tell you anything. All I did was give you some questions to think on. And by thinking on them, you arrived at the answer for you. So that kind of, that's part of my calling. That's a skill and an ability that I have. But here's the interesting thing. I was a school teacher for 16 years. Guess what? That calling showed up in that career too. Right. And then I was in leadership for 11 years in a senior position and an executive in a company, I led leaders who then led a team of people. Guess what? My calling showed up there too. Now, it, did it show up as completely in either of those positions as it does today? No, not really. I think I live it out more today than I did then, but there were still echoes of it even back then. And, you know, my mom will tell you, you know, her comment is, Scott, you started coaching when you were like eight years old. <laughs> you, know, you you were the guy that you know everybody came to everybody wanted help from you you know you that that was me that was I was always that way I did that through high school through college you know I was always that guy 
I just didn't call it that because I didn't know that, you know, I didn't give it a name because I didn't know what to call it, but it was there. So that's an example of what I mean of it, it's not purely my career at every point in my life. And yet there's echoes of it in those other points as well. That's what I mean by both. And it's, it's not as simple as we try to make it of, you know, I can live out my purpose and my calling and God has blessed it. Or I can have a career and make money. And, you know, God has blessed that and, and ne never the twain shall meet, you know, and it's like, no, well, sometimes right. they do. Sometimes they don't. Neither one of those is good or bad. It's just how is it playing out in your life at this point in time? Right. Because that's God the other thing. It's a it's a film strip. It's it's not a snapshot. You know, just because it's showing up a certain way today doesn't mean that's the way it's going to show up in the next five years. That's exactly right. And God uses our experiences and and to shape us and and to direct our paths. I, I think about my first job. You know, sometimes people will ask me, you know, what was your first job? Did you work at McDonald's or did you work at the local grocery store? No, I was a business owner. I mowed people's grass. I, I, I did, you know, I started my first business when I was 12 and, and, you know, but then I went to pastoral ministry, you know, I, I went to Bible college, I went to seminary and I was serving in churches and, and now I'm doing, I own a business mm -hmm. doing financial planning from a biblical perspective mm -hmm. and I'm looking for my own clients. I'm, I'm going and, and I see, wow. That that job, that that vocation or or it wasn't a career, it was a part time high school gig. But that has informed who I am today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and you just see, wow, you know, God was so gracious to me and giving me that experience. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the the a little bit more details about time, talent and treasure. I mean, there's a lot of things we could say, but. You know, regarding time, how how do you get how do you manage to get more done, uh, but also doing to not get more done, but get the right things done? Excuse me. Yeah, so I, I think that's actually one of the big misconceptions with time is is we we a lot of times we focus on getting more done. You know that let's let's get it all done. You know, think about it. This is the language we use. You know how how are you going? Oh, I'm busy. Oh, it's busy. You know, we, we say that as if it's a badge of honor, you know, that, that somehow we're busy is, is a great thing. We tend to load up our plate and put everything on it. And then, like I said, we start looking around the edges for the stuff that's actually really important to us. It's like, you know, well, I have date my, night with my wife, but I'll do that once every six months because that's all I have time for. Really? You know, but yet you say family and your wife and your marriage is your most important, you know, it, it, God, family, you know, that we, we rank things and you put that down on paper. That's the second most important thing. God's first family second. And then you only have time for a date night with your wife every six months. You know, how is that congruent? How is that in alignment? And, and again, a lot of times that's what we're doing. And so the thought is somehow, you know, I'll sleep less. I'll, I'll get up earlier. I'll, you know, I'll hustle more that, that hustle and grind culture you know, work 24 seven, you know, you can sleep when you're dead. You hear all these things. And, and said, again, I think it's about taking a step back and really doing the deep work of saying, no, wait, I said, God's first. I said, family second. What does that look like? <laughs> you know, what, for me, 
what does it mean that family's second? What does it mean that God's first? What does it mean that my kids are on this list? What does it mean that my, you know, where my job fits on this list? What does it mean where all of these different components of my life, because we all wear about 150 hats, you know, all these different roles that we take on, all these different responsibilities. Where do these fit in my list? And then from there, what do we say yes to first? And then if you get and get to the bottom of the list and you don't have time for it, say no. Yes. That's actually a complete sentence. <laughs> no, you know, I, I would love to do this, but I have other priorities that came first. I also laugh because I just use priorities, plural. Technically, priority is a singular word that can never be plural. We made it plural starting in the 1800s, the late 1800s. Before that, that word was never plural. It was only singular because by definition, the word priority means that that comes before all other things. So it's kind of hard to have one thing that comes before all other things and then a second thing that comes before all other things and then a third <laughs> thing that comes before... And yet nowadays, what we use is, you know, this is my priority list. This is one, two, three, four, five, and so on. So right. I don't want you to think of these things as a, a hierarchy per se, but there is a little bit of a, what is the thing, you know, I've got a finite amount of time. I've only got 24 hours in the day. So what am I going to allow in? It's almost like a filter more than it is a prior, you know, a, a hierarchy, and, and if I've said, you know, and let's say I've said God is most important, you know, that's true in my life, that's true in your life. Okay, what does that look like? Does that only mean going to church on Sunday? Does that mean you have spiritual time during the week? What does that look like? How are you going to put that on your calendar, block it off, protect it, make sure that happens? Okay, great. You know, family second. Great. What's that going to look like for you? And realize that's going to look different at different points in your life. Before kids, after kids, trust me, it looks different. You know, right. different points in your marriage journey, it's going to look different. Different points of your career journey, it may look different. You know, the family right. part may. So it's okay sure. that it's different and that it changes over time, but you're constantly kind of asking that question. What does this look like for me right now? And if you've got a partner, hopefully you're having a conversation about this. <laughs> you right. know? And it becomes, what does this look like for us right now? Right. And you're protecting that. And then, you know, kind of going to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And there will come a point where you've run out of time. You know, it's below the line, anything kind of below that line. It's in, it's no longer important enough that you have to say yes to it. it. It now becomes the things that you say no to, not out of a lack or not out of fear or not out of anything else, but out of, a, of, of the ability to sit down and go, no, these are the most important things. And I want to make sure those get done first and done well. Everything right. else can fall off the plate and it's okay. Right. When I'm thinking about the business, it's just me and my partner. You know, We don't have support staff, but I, I have people who are doing things for me. I, you know, I have my virtual assistant who was doing some uh, uh, scheduling and some cold calling. I have people who are doing things that I can pay them to do that for me. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if I were going to do them, you know, I cost a certain amount of, for my time. Mm -hmm. And if I could pay someone to do that if, and I can pay them less, then that's a good deal. Sure. Um 
You know, if I could pay someone to mow my grass, I actually like to mow my grass. It's actually I was say, unless you like to do it and it's something you do for relaxation, right. then you may choose not to outsource it. And right. it away. Yeah. But, you know, with my social media, uh, I'm, I'm slowly learning, but it's not really something I enjoy. So I'm probably going to have to offload it mm-hmm. and pay someone to do it for me. Yeah. Anything you have that could be on your calendar, right? The, 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 the question you have to ask is, you know, first, how important is this? And then second, should I be the one that's doing it? It, it, Assuming it's important, then it becomes a question of, yes, but are you the person that needs to do it? Because you always have the choice of, you know, if it is you and it's important, schedule it, put it on your calendar, put Mm -hmm. a time for it, assign it a place. If it's, if it's important to be done, but it's not needing to be done by you, then you need to look for an opportunity to delegate it. Now, again, depending on where you are in your business and other things, you Mm -hmm. may not always be able to do that, but you can begin planning for that ability to delegate it and down the road, maybe be able to delegate it. And then if it's something that it's not really that important, well, then dump is the third option, which is back to that saying no thing. You just choose to not do it. Um, right. Just allow it to fall off the plate and say, okay, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. You know, we, we homeschool our, our children. And so I work from home. My kids are home. My wife is home. My in-laws are home. My dog is home. And we don't have like, our house isn't like a disaster, but it's not always sure. spick and span. You know, if, if the laundry doesn't get put away for two days, Okay. But are the kids educated? Are they learning to serve and love the Lord? Yeah. Well, they have a roof over their head and a belly and a full belly and yeah. shoes on their feet. <laughs> you but know? Is our house spotless? Right. No. Well, and that's that's again, you have to make those, you know, those choices. Um, you know, I, I have worked with clients that uh as an example have driven a really nice car, lived in the biggest house in the neighborhood you know, had great jobs. Both of them drove, you know, Mercedes, Lexus, you know, high-end cars, all of this stuff. And literally had no furniture in the house. They never invited anyone through the door, through the front door. They always talked to everybody outside of their house because it was all a facade. It was about looking a certain way for everybody else as opposed to actually living it out. And when they made different decisions, now all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, we can live a different way and be happier and be healthier and have a better, you know, better world for ourselves. It, it, it wasn't it wasn't about, quote, giving up the fancy car. It was about making a different decision about where their values and where their priorities lie so that they could bring things into alignment. And then all of a sudden, you know, by the way, they ended up several years later in just as nice a house with just as nice a cars, but they also had furniture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I, you know, they, in other words, they said he was a, a high end attorney and, and she was a doctor. They had a huge shovel, you know? Yeah. But I've also worked with people that have much smaller incomes and it's still the same sort of decision-making this, this is one of the beauties of, looking at it from that kind of process point of view or, or thinking point of view, whether it's time or whether it's money, you know, we all end up, there's, there is a finite point <laughs> for all of those. They are finite resources. At some point you're out of money or you're out of time. 
Right. Different points for different people, but at some point you're out of one or the other. (laughs) Right. So let's move forward to the topic of talent. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've already discussed this at at, at some length, but, you know, how can how can our listeners identify what really is their calling for their lives? So there's kind of two exercises that I like to use and and all these are ones you can do on your own. So if you're listening right now, you don't have to. This isn't anything fancy in a way. And there's more to it than I can kind of cover in this, but I'll I'll give you enough that you could actually go apply this right now if you're struggling and kind of going, I know I have something I'm supposed to be doing. I'm just not really sure what it is. So the first step is to look backwards. We talked about that earlier that, you know, out of our past, a lot of times there's clues that bubble up. So it's literally just brainstorming. What's every job you've had? What's every volunteer activity you've done? Things that weren't actually jobs or even volunteer things, but things that you do, you know, hobbies, other activities, get them down on paper. And then kind of ask yourself two questions. The first one is, when I was doing that, what did I love about it? You know, what was fun? What was interesting? What was entertaining? And by the way, even if there was a job that you absolutely detested, hated, couldn't wait until you left it, there's probably still something about it that you actually enjoy. Find that thing and put it down. Then ask yourself, what did I not like about this activity or this career? And, you know, converse is true. Even if there's something on there that you actually loved and you're like, this was the best job ever. There's probably something about it that you didn't like so much. So find that and put it down. You, know, you, you can always find those nuggets. And by the way, if there's three or four things or seven things or 22 things, doesn't matter. This isn't to find the one thing, but it is find at least one thing. And then brainstorm all of that. Go back to that and kind of look for patterns. Look for things that consistently show up in different ways and maybe in different language, but it's kind of the same underlying thing in the love area and in the hate area. What look, what patterns are there? So that's kind of clues from the past because out of that love and out of that hate will be some information about things that you probably have a gifting to. There are things that, you know, God has put the ability in your life to do it. And probably when you start looking at it, you're going to think to yourself, well, everyone can do that. Or, well, this is so easy that I don't understand how this could be something that, you know, could be a gift that's proving by the way that it's your gift because right. it doesn't come that easy to everybody else <laughs> you know yeah. it's that it's that thing that you look at you know and you go oh yeah it's obvious and everyone else is looking at you like it's not obvious okay that's a lot of times how our gift shows up so that's kind of looking backwards then i want to turn it on its head and that's to to dream forward so the way i like to ask it i ask what i call the airport question which is And again, you can sit down and write this down yourself. Imagine for a minute that you're walking through the airport and you've got a flight, you're going to go catch it. But as you get to the gate, you discover that the flight has been delayed five hours. You're now going to just kind of have to hang out in the airport for the next five hours to get your connecting flight to get back home. So you're walking around looking for a place to sit, you know, have a have a drink, have a little bite to eat, whatever it is, you know, get you a Coke, whatever it is. You're looking around. And as you walk into the the restaurant or the place you're going to sit, somebody yells from across the room. Hey, Keith, how you doing? And a friend that you haven't seen for five years comes walking across the restaurant, come sit with me. I haven't seen you in so long. And you find out they've got a light layover as well. They're going to be there about four hours. You're going to be there about five hours. So you all sit down together and you begin to talk. 
and your friend looks at you and says, I haven't seen you in so long. How have the last five years been for you? And your answer is, these have been the best five years of my life because. Right. Your job is to write what af comes after the word because. Right. What would make those five years, the years that you would answer that question fully, honestly, and completely, these have been the best years of my life. What would you be doing? Who would you be doing it with? What would what it look like? What would it sound like? What would it taste like? And those two things together start giving you a picture of what you're probably called to do. What I'm hearing from you, and, and, I, and I like this point, is you got to write it down. Absolutely. Get, you have to write it down. <laughs> don't, don't get out Word, you know, Microsoft Word. Get a paper and a pencil and write it down. Maybe you'll put it on, on, on you know, on type and type it out later and maybe a, a prettier, more easy to read format, but write it down. I can't tell you how often I write things down and I don't look at it again, but because I wrote it down. It's in your it, head. It's, it's in my head. I've ingrained it. I've processed it. And it's a part of me. Now, I will give you one exception to that. So some folks, if, if you struggle a lot with handwriting, this is one where I would encourage you to not type it. OK, but here's the alternative way that actually does a similar thing from a neurobiology point of view. And it's called speak it. In other words, what I would say is your alternative, if you're like, oh, but I don't want to sit down and write this, that's painful. OK. Get out a voice app on your phone or on your computer. Put a microphone on. <laughs> Go for a walk, you know, with your phone and your, your headphones on and just talk out loud. Answer the question out loud. Sit down with your partner and have a conversation about it, but record it. That's the only alternative. But handwriting is actually best. And the neurobiology will tell you that because it's activating different senses of the brain and mm -hmm. different components of the brain. But if you can't handwrite it because you have a, a, you know, a disability or dyslexia or something else that's going on that keeps you from being able to do that, your second best alternative, and it does work, is to speak it and yes. answer it that way. And, and especially if you can sit down with a trusted friend or colleague or your spouse or somebody like that and have a dialogue, that actually cements it really well as well. Typing is your third choice. And it's you know literally like, my first answer to people is handwriting. You can't do that. Great. Speak it. You can't do that. Then do this. Right. Uh, because just from a neurobiology point of view, you connect with it more in that order. Yeah. Good stuff. So let's move forward uh, to the to the third part of stewardship, which is treasure, which, you know, we've already said that this is probably, uh, you know, the, the wrong focus of a lot of stewardship advocates. But there, there are many different types of, of treasure. Um, I, you know, I treasure my wife and my children and, and they, they, they are, you know, I don't own them, but they're, they're a part of my life and, and I manage them and my relationships with them. But, you know, treasure could be, um, you know, relationships outside of the, the, you know, immediate family. They could be, you know, real estate. Uh, they could be, you know, any number of different things. But let's let's talk about faith and money here, because this is the Faith and Money podcast, right? Uh, so, Scott, what is the best way to manage your business and personal finances? The the short answer to that question is being proactive rather than reactive. Uh, the the biggest hurdle that a lot of us have when it comes to our money 
and, and you're right, treasures is bigger than just money, but but let's focus on the money for a second. At the end of the day is we tend to live our money reactively, meaning things come up. You, you hear people say this all the time, you know, I, oh, it was an unexpected expense. There's no way I could have planned for that. What my answer to that would be, that's almost 0% of the time true. It is true a very, very small percentage of the time. I'll, I'll give you an example. How many of you have had your car break when you weren't ready for it? And you're now looking around going, I've got a car emergency because my transmission just went out. And I got a financial emergency because I got to find the money to fix the transmission so that I can get to work. So I've got a, a, you know, a car emergency and a financial emergency all at the same time. The interesting thing is people will say, well, I, I couldn't, how would I have known the transmission was going to break? You're right. You couldn't have known the transmission was going to break and you couldn't have known it was going to break this month, but you could have known your car is probably going to need repair because cars break. So it's actually unexpected in that we don't know the timing or the exact details, but it's not unplannable. You can plan for that. Right. Even a health emergency. Again, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm probably going to have a health emergency of some type in the next you know, number of years of my life. It's going to happen. I'm getting on a little up with at age. Guess what? The frequency is probably getting a little higher, you know? So I can predict that. I can plan for that. So being proactive is about thinking through what are those things that we actually are kind of excusing as unplanned and lying to ourselves and saying, oh, we, we couldn't have, how would I have known? I couldn't have prepared for that. Yeah, you can. You, you actually can prepare for that. You can lay that firm foundation and you can begin to move forward in a mo more proactive way. But that comes from, again, number one, getting in touch with what's your why? What's the purpose? What do you, why is this money here? What is it doing right. for me? What is its job? What is its role? What is its place? And then actually planning for that and then actually executing on that plan. And by the way, you're going to screw it up and it's not going to work right. And you're going to mess it up and it's going to not balance and things are wrong and everything else. And you need to celebrate that because that means you're learning something because everything, every information right. that you get back is just data. It's just information. You know, I overspent or I underspent. Great. Why? <laughs> you know, was it a budget problem? You didn't put the right number on the budget or was it a behavior problem or was it a fluke? And then if right. it was a fluke, is there any way I can predict flukes like this? What should I do to prepare for flukes like this? Right. Because you know, it's very seldom a one off. It usually there's a pattern. So you're looking for that information. And then over time, you begin to make progress. We always talk about progress, not perfect. The goal is to just kind of make progress and dial it in. I've been doing a budget for my family and for my business the whole time. You know, my, my family longer than my business. I got data like you wouldn't believe. Guess what? When I sit down and do a budget now, it's pretty accurate. Still not perfect. There's still things that go wrong. But a lot of it is dialed in because I've been doing that proactive process of, you know, look at it, plan it, execute on that plan review what happened and make revisions and then just kind of repeat that cycle of plan, execute, review, revise, 
and you kind of keep doing that and it gets better and better and better and better and better and better and better until eventually, you know, it's never going to be perfect. It's never going to work. Everything works perfectly, but it works to such an extent and you've got things in place enough that it's okay that it's not working perfectly because it's not a disaster anymore. My right. joke is you want to cut your emergencies in half, have some money. Because now all of a sudden when that car breaks, you still have a car emergency. Right. But you don't have a financial emergency anymore. And so you definitely, you literally cut your emergencies in half. You went from having right. two <laughs> to having one. So, you know, the old joke is have an emergency fund. You cut your emergencies in half. Everyone thinks that's because you have fewer emergencies. It's actually because you don't have two at the same time. You have just the one. Right. You have the, the car emergency or the health emergency, not the financial part. Right. What I'm hearing from you is the old adage that the best offense is a great defense. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, and I think of, of you know, Proverbs 6, uh, you know, go to the ant, O slugger, consider her ways and be wise. Uh, without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Uh, and then it talks about, you know, the sluggard who who doesn't prepare, who just consumes everything and, and having that emergency fund or that extra cash or, or those uh, provisions within your financials mm -hmm. to offset risk, the better off you're going to be. One of the things I talk to my clients about is, hey, you're making, you know, $450,000 a year or $40,000 a year. How are you going to pay for your expenses in the event you become sick and injured and unable to work? Right. Like, I've never thought of that. Uh, and then I talked to them about, you know, their long-term uh, disability income policy. But if I say to them, what, what will happen if you ever became disabled? They're like, oh, that's never going to happen. Right. Right. But if I say to them, well, could you get sick and injured and being able to work? Well, yeah, that could happen. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, a lot of the things that we, you know, don't prepare for, honestly, they're not things that we don't know could happen to us, but they're things that we haven't actually internalized that there's something we can do about it. Right. It, it usually comes out of kind of this fatalistic, well, if it happens, it happens. Right. You know, and, and I'll, I'll deal with it then. The trick is realizing that there's a lot of that stuff that you can deal with proactively. You could deal with ahead of time. And then now it's no longer an emergency. It's no longer a problem. Right. You're you're just kind of you're 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 executing on the plan that you had that was just a, a just so plan, you know, just in case plan. By the way, personal or business, because you know, you specifically asked about personal and business, the process <laughs> is the same. The, the verbiage, the vocabulary, that's different. You know, in, in a business, we talk about retained earnings. You know, at home, we call it an emergency fund. It's the same thing. You know, it, it's <laughs> we just give it a different name because accountants like to say employed. And, uh, you know, they, they have to have different. I'm kidding. I'm making fun of the accountants. But, you know, it's it's just we call it different things. But the concepts are the same underlying company of 5000 employees. The concept's still the same. It's not right. that different. A lot of the details are different. The size of the budget is different. When I worked in as an executive, I had a budget of like $44 million. 
it's still a budget, <laughs> you know, I still had all the same questions to ask and answer as my personal budget that was not $44 million. <laughs> yeah, so this has been a, 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 an amazing discussion, Scott. Uh, you know, let's tie all these things kind of get together, you know, and how, how does your faith af affect your coaching in these areas? So, you know, I do not make a, a big deal out of trying to explicitly coach only Christians or only from a Christian viewpoint. At the same time, I look at my coaching as an outreach of my faith. I, I try to treat my coaching with that. I want my coaching to reflect the glory of God, the glory of Christ in everything I do. You know, I want to be able to look at people and not judge them. I want to look at people with love. I want to look at people with compassion. I want to be able to treat people in the way that they want to be treated, not just the way I want to be treated. Um, you know, I actually think it's a deeper thing to look at people and go, how do you need to be treated? You know, what, what, what do you need? Uh, as opposed to what do I, you know, how do I want to be treated? The, the old adage is treat others the way you want to be treated. I think mm -hmm. it's better to treat others the way they want to be treated. Looking at it that way, you know, I've worked again, like I said earlier, with folks in 15 countries, vast majority have been people of faith, but I've also worked with folks from other religions, from other faiths and folks that have no religion at all. And my idea is still to approach them with, you know, I am a man of faith. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. I may quote scripture. I may talk about a biblical principle and make it explicit that it's from the Bible. And you have to be comfortable with that because that's who I am. But at the same time, I don't want to make you be, you know, who you aren't. What I found is over time, you know, I've actually worked with some folks who had never set foot in a church, had never read a Bible, had never, you know, would not believe in God, that kind of thing. And by the end of our coaching relationship, they were open to that idea. They, they were no longer looking at a Christian and saying, you know, they're judgmental, they push people away, they're angry, they're this, which I think, quite frankly, a lot of times we come across that way <laughs> as Christians, and, and we can come across in a way that ends up pushing people away. And so I try to use it as a fundamental way of inviting people into relationship with not me, but with Christ, with God, with a power that's greater than any of us. And that's going to look different for different people and be a different journey for different people. And that's okay. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, I, I try to remember God is God. I'm not. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, my, my joke that I tell people all the time is, I'm sorry, that one's above my pay grade. So when it comes to making decisions about other people's life, that's above my pay grade. I, I don't get to, I don't get to be the one that does that. All I can do is live out, you know, my life and in the circle of relationships that I have and yeah. hope that that's good enough. Yeah, thank you. Scott, can you tell our, our listeners what working with you is like, you know, what is your process and, sure. and how do you work with your clients? Absolutely. So I actually set up a, a landing page uh, over at inspiredstewardship.com slash faith that kind of will let folks invite them into this. I start with a 30 minute consultation. I call this an assessment meeting. It's really just to answer questions for folks, find out a little bit more about them and their situation, answer any questions they have, figure out whether we should work together. It's a no pressure. I don't make people make a decision on the call, that kind of thing. It's a low pressure thing. Assuming after that, that folks want to work together. Most of my clients work with me for at least a three month foundational coaching. I found that it takes about 90 days to kind of make some progress. 
obviously in that we have a lot of different meetings. There's homework that I give. See, I'm still a school teacher at heart. I still give homework. There's homework that I give. There's assignments that you do. There's things you work on. If it's a couple, you'll work on them together. And then kind of at the end of that, a lot of my clients continue on with me in what we call accountability and growth, which I've had clients now. I've got one that I've been working with for eight years um, mm -hmm. where we continue to have an ongoing relationship around accountability and, and continuing things that are going on. So a lot of my clients stay with me after that three months, but not all do. So it's not a requirement. It's just something that a lot of them do. Yeah, we'll be glad to share your uh, website. Uh, we'll be glad to share your podcast uh, with our listeners. I'm always a big fan of, of you know, listening to multiple podcasts. You know, Absolutely. people ask me what podcasts I listen to. I think I probably have a dozen and a half that are on my list. Do I listen to all of them at the same time? Probably not, but I know that all of my listeners always listen to Faith and Money. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Scott. Uh, this has been really just a great uh, discussion. I know that we've brought a lot of valuable content, and I know that you're doing great work, and, and I thank you for the work that you are doing and for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and I hope your listeners get something from it. Yeah, and uh, you know, if you're listening today and you want to reach out to Scott, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, you can always contact True Legacy Financial Planning for any of your uh, faith-based uh, financial planning needs, including life insurance, uh, long-term disability income, financial planning, investment management, and generational wealth transfer planning. Uh, until next time, uh, we'll wish you well and God's blessing upon your life. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Faith and Money podcast. But remember, our conversations don't end here. We invite you to continue exploring these fascinating subjects by subscribing to our podcast. By subscribing, you'll never miss an episode, ensuring that you stay connected to our community of like-minded individuals seeking wisdom and guidance in their financial and spiritual lives. And while you're at it, don't forget to rate and review the Faith and Money podcast. Your feedback not only helps us improve, but it also allows others to discover and benefit from these enriching discussions. Your words have the power to inspire and empower others to embark on their own journeys toward financial well-being and spiritual fulfillment. Lastly, we want to extend a heartfelt invitation to join us for future episodes. We have exciting guests lined up, who will share their unique perspectives and experiences. Together, we'll continue to dive deeper, challenge conventions, and uncover hidden truths that can transform our lives for the better.